If you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6 will take time to read the whole chapter, just get the context, beginning in verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the small, smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If, ye, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong, and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed." but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Amen. Let us bow briefly and ask the Lord's help uh, for the delivery of this message. 
our kind and gracious Father in heaven. We pray now, Lord, together that Thou wouldst come and minister to our souls through Thy Word. Thou knowest the preparation that has gone in to our hearts, to our minds, to hear this Word. But Lord, we need Thee to come and take us beyond our preparation. Preacher and hearer alike, Lord, we need Thee to send the Spirit of God upon us now that we may hear, and not only hear, but be doers of the Word. So Lord, come. Come, pour out Thy Spirit upon us, please, we pray in Jesus' name, for Thy glory's sake. Give help, I pray, to me. Amen. Such were some of you. 1 Corinthians 6.11 Such were some of you. It's a very striking statement that the Apostle Paul makes there. He gives this list of heinous sins and wicked acts of unrighteousness to these Corinthian believers, and then makes the statement, and such were some of you. A reminder to the Corinthians of what they used to be. But before we get into the text that I want to look at today, which is 1 Corinthians 6.11, I'd like to just give a bit of the context here, just to remind us of who the Apostle's writing to and the context of the, of the epistle, of the letter. So we have the people that the apostle is writing to, these Corinthian believers. And Corinth was known in those ancient days as being a city of lust and greed and self-satisfaction. It was a city that was enveloped in sin and idolatry and wickedness beyond the degree of other cities. So that someone who became wayward in their living and, and lived that kind of lifestyle that we are just reading about in that list of sins, doing all those things with no repentance in their heart, they'd say that they'd been Corinthianized. That those people had become so like the Corinthians that they'd been Corinthianized. That was the reputation of this city. But God moved in that city. And God saved a group of people and established His church there. A group of believers brought out of that life. So we need to remember that these were rough people with rough backgrounds that the apostles dealing with. They had various sinful backgrounds. And these problems from their past, they didn't just go away, but they were having to deal with them. And the Apostle Paul, as their pastor, in a way, was having to deal with them. And there were various problems. In chapter 1, we find there's a problem of faction. Men claiming one man over the other, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. A faction problem because there was a pride with oratory and there was a pride with choosing your style of man and who you wanted to be aligned with. 
And we'll see how the Apostle Paul addresses that. In chapter 2, dealing with worldly wisdom and philosophy and how God's wisdom is foolishness to the world. Chapter 5, dealing with the problem of incest and an occasion that had arisen in this church of a man who had taken his father's wife. So these were serious problems that the Apostle Paul's dealing with. And it's no small thing that these were gross sins and this was a church. These things were going on and the Apostle Paul's having to deal with this. And in chapter 6, we have other problems, more problems. In chapter 6, we have a problem with secular courts, with fornication. And all these issues flowed from errors in their beliefs. You could say that for all the problems. And you could say that for each one of us this morning. That the problems we have in our practice in some way stem from our problems and our beliefs. We read in verse 1, Dare any of you having a matter against a brother go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? The problem with the courts. And it wasn't just that they were going to court over things that they should go to court about. We understand that there are things that would arise in your life that would be lawful. To have to, you have to deal with them legally. But it was that they were having these tedious things that they weren't willing to deal with amongst themselves, and they'd become so engrossed by the culture that they were willing to just go to court with their brother before unbelievers and be a bad testimony to the church of Christ. It was a common practice in that time to go to court over anything because the people enjoyed being able to watch a debate in a court. It was entertainment for them. And these Corinthian believers had fallen prey to that. That was one issue. Then you have the issue of fornication where the Apostle Paul actually has to say, Know ye not, in verse 15, that your bodies are the members of Christ. He says in verse 13, Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And you see how the apostle is correcting their beliefs. It was common in Greek culture and Greek philosophy to believe that all that mattered was the spiritual side of things, and the physical doesn't matter. Matter, those made up of physical characteristics doesn't matter. So therefore, it doesn't matter what we do with our body. We're pure in spirit. And you see that in verse 12 it says, All things are lawful unto me. That was a saying that the Corinthians would use. All things are lawful unto me. There's nothing I can do that defiles me because I'm pure by the gospel. And you see the rationale. They're saying, oh, I'm forgiven. Uh, I, I'm, I'm forgiven of all my sins. I'm cleansed. I'm washed. Therefore, all things are lawful unto me. The Apostle Paul has to correct them. Say, no, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things are not profitable. And you will not be brought under the power of any. And not only has the Lord redeemed your spirit, but the Lord's redeemed your body. Therefore, 
You're the Lord's in body and in spirit. But these are the problems that he's dealing with. So you have the people, the problems, and the prescription that the Apostle Paul gives. Paul, as a skilled doctor of the soul, prescribes the gospel as the remedy for these and various other issues. That was always his practice. If you read through his epistles, you notice that these problems arise in these churches. And the apostle doesn't beat people over the head with rules and regulations in that way. But he very wisely, graciously brings the gospel into the picture. And he reminds the believers with their various struggles and their various issues that these are not unrelated to the gospel. That it's the gospel first, and then we filter all these issues that you're having through the gospel. That was his practice in chapter 1. In chapter 1, where we're dealing with the factions, he says in verse 12, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He immediately goes to the belief that the body of Christ is one. Is Christ divided? There are no factions in the body of Christ. And this is a hard thing for us to face because we're so easily divided. They were then and we are now. But his practice was to apply the gospel to every problem. So that's a bit of the context of where we find this verse number 11. But here in verse 11, which is where I want us to focus today, Paul gives us a beautiful summary of the entire event of salvation. He says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So the Apostle Paul is applying the gospel to this situation of them taking one another to court. And he's using this foundation of the gospel to show them their error. That is his argument. And that is his point here. And his point is that Christians should not live as, that, as what they were, but as what they are and whose they are. And I want you to consider this text today as a necessary reminder to Christians of what you were, of what you are, and of whose you are. So first let us consider what you were. What you were. Paul reminds these Corinthians these Corinthian believers, he says, Know ye not, in verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves and mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So what you were, you were unrighteous. That is the first thing you were. You were unrighteous. Now Paul is writing to a specific people. And so you can look at this list and you can see that, well, I've never done that, I've never done that, I've never done that, I've never done that. But whether inwardly or outwardly, 
you were unrighteous. Every Christian at one time was unrighteous, whether inwardly or outwardly. And we know this to be true because this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 1. He says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So this applies to everyone. The Apostle Paul is writing specifically to these believers who had this outward manifestation of their unrighteousness. And that's all this list is, really. It's a list of the outward manifestations of the internal evil and wickedness of the heart and the unrighteous state that we all find ourselves in by nature when we are born. So you were unrighteous. That's the first thing he reminds them of. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And the reason he does this is because they're going to court, they're going to law before unbelievers over, again, tedious things, things that they could deal with amongst themselves by the gospel. And he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? You're going to court before the unrighteous. You're going to court before those who are unjust in their nature and trying to receive justice amongst yourselves over issues that you should be able to deal with. And that is his point in bringing this up. But it's very rich for us doctrinally as well. And we can see the reality that the, of the darkness of our hearts before God brought us to know Jesus Christ. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So you were unrighteous, but secondly, you were a lawbreaker. You were a lawbreaker. And to what degree is not important, because we know Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. So even as you look at this list, and you may have not done this outwardly, but there are things contained in this list that each one of us has done inwardly. Whether it be idolatry. Whether it be adultery in the heart. Whether it be stealing in our hearts. Or coveting. We know that each person has broken these laws of God that are in the Ten Commandments. So you were unrighteous, you were a law breaker regardless of the things that were outwardly manifested in your life, whether you were born in a Christian home, born in a pagan society, each and every one of these things was either in your heart or outwardly manifested. So that is what you were. What you were. He gives them this list and he says, this is what God's brought you from. This is what you were. And such were some of you. But now he moves on to remind them of what they are. 
That's our second point this morning. What you are. And the first thing he says, you are washed. You are washed. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. And what is this referring to? This washing. Well, it's referring to the new birth, to spiritual cleansing, and to regeneration. In John 3, 3, we read that wonderful statement of the Lord Jesus to Nicodemus. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And the Lord Jesus is hearkening back there to Ezekiel 36, 25, where the prophecy of Ezekiel and the Lord prophesying that He will cleanse His people, He says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And that is what we have here. Ye are washed. In Titus 3, 5, we have this idea picked up again by the Apostle Paul. Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So we have been made clean. He says, ye are washed. Ye are made clean. Made clean. And think of that this morning. This is what you were. He's telling these Corinthians, this is what you were. This list of vile, wicked sins. This unrighteous way of living. This is what you were. This is how filthy you were. But God took you and He washed you. He cleansed you. He took your sin and washed it away in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his point, obviously, again, is that they would change what they were doing based on what they are now. But it's a beautiful text for us to consider this morning. But ye are washed, made clean. Secondly here, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. You are sanctified. Now, for those of you who read this and you wonder, why does he put sanctified before justified? Aren't we justified before we begin the process of sanctification? That's a question to ask, because we always say that. In Protestantism, Reformed theology, we believe that you're justified, and then that's when the process of sanctification begins. You're saved, and then you begin the process of sanctification. And so, if that's what this was referring to, we might take a step back and have to reassess. But I want to submit to you that ye are sanctified is not referring here to the process of sanctification. I want to submit that to you, that it's not referring to the process of sanctification, but it's referring to the act of being separated by God from the world 
for God. It's the act of being separated by God for God. The act of God taking you out of the world. And that's why it comes in the text before the word justified. Because God takes us and separates us from the world. Washes our sins away, sets us apart, justifies us in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And that is why sanctification comes before justification in the text. And you have to remember the argument here. You're washed, you're sanctified, you're set apart. God has taken you out of the world and set you apart for Himself. So why are you going back to these heathen courts? Why are you going back to the world system when you should be able to deal with these problems in the church? And that's the argument here. That's his point. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. And we have to remember not to impose our, our preconceived notions and our, of our theological understandings on the Scripture to a certain extent. Because the primary meaning of sanctified is to be set apart. And we have to remember that when we read our Bibles. The other, another place where this occurs is in 1 Peter 1-2. 1 Peter 1 verse 2. We read there, "...elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ." So unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So again we have here sanctification mentioned before the act of obedience of believing the gospel and being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. But it's because it's related to election. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. Through setting, being set apart by the Spirit. And so we have to be careful, we have to understand that it's not referring to the process of sanctification as to our maturity in Christ, but it's referring to us being set apart by the Spirit of God to be saved. And isn't that something wonderful for us to consider this morning? Just think of it. Think of the fact that God separated you. He sanctified you, brought you out of the world, and said, You're mine, claimed you, washed you of your sins, and set you apart from the rest of the world. Separated by God. What a wonderful truth. But thirdly, here, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified. Justified. Referring to a perfect legal standing before a perfectly just and holy God. A perfect legal standing before a perfectly just and holy God. You've been cleansed, you've been set apart. You've been justified in the court of God. And you think of the argument here. Because it's tempting to just think of this 
very devotionally and think of how wonderful it is that we're justified with God. And it is, and it's a wonderful truth. And that's where my mind is immediately drawn when I read this text. But as I was studying this and looking at the argument, it, it really blew me away because the Apostle Paul's saying, you've been washed, okay? You've been forgiven. You've been set apart by God, and you've been justified by God. And as he goes on, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, you're justified before God, and you know that you didn't deserve it. You know that you were deserving of punishment. And so he brings this in, he brings the gospel in to show them the error of taking each other to a heathen court system over these tedious matters that really don't add up to a lot. He's saying, do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Now, we don't know all the things that were going on and the reasons they were taking each other to court, but the implications are that they were things that they could settle amongst themselves. And he's saying, you've been justified before a perfectly just and holy God based on another person's righteousness. And can you not see the mercy that you should have with your brethren? That's his argument. And when you think, when you, when you see it, when he makes this point, it, it hits very hard. But ye are justified. That justification that comes to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. A perfect righteousness. You were guilty, and yet now in Christ you are innocent. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we read that glorious statement. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's one man who prayed this way and thanked the Lord. He said, Lord Jesus, I am your sin, but you are my righteousness. And that is what we have here. We have a righteousness that is really ours in Christ. And he says to these Corinthians, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. God looks upon you as if you were righteous. He looks upon you as righteous. It's not as though he, he, he thinks about it and he turns a blind eye to all your sin. Your sin was imputed to Christ on the cross and he took it all and suffered the punishment. His righteousness imputed to you so that you are looked upon as perfectly righteous. And that's the reminder that he has for these Corinthian believers. You're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. Thirdly, not only what you were and what you are, but whose you are. Whose you are. First here is, you are Christ's. For he says... 
you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Meaning by His merit, by His authority, by His power, by His sovereign choice, you are His in the name of the Lord Jesus. You are justified. All this that you are now, you're washing, you're sanctifying, and you're being justified is due to the fact that you are in a spiritual union with Jesus Christ. And that's what he continues to bring out through the rest of the chapter in verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Because he has to make this point because they're thinking of just the spiritual. Oh, I can do whatever I want with my body. He says, no. No, you don't understand. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. And then obviously he makes the application, shall I then take members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Because your body is in spiritual union as well as your soul with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are Christ. You are, secondly, the spirits. You are the spirits. For he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. By the Spirit of our God. Meaning through his agency. Because he is the applier of the gospel of Jesus Christ to your soul. He is the one who has come and taken up residence in your body and applied all of the benefits that you receive in Jesus Christ to you. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So you belong to the Lord Jesus and you belong to the Spirit. And that's why he says in verse 19, again, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So he continues to bring this out. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Your bodies are the members of Christ and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you are Jesus Christ and you are the spirits. Thirdly here, you are the fathers. You are the fathers. For he says in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God referring to God in His entirety. God in His triune being. So in this text, you have the triune God represented as the author of your salvation. Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. That merit applied to you by the Spirit. The Spirit of our God. And His conclusion comes... This whole argument concludes in verse 20 where he says, For ye are bought with a price. Your Christ, verse 11 and 15, your bodies are the members of Christ. You're the spirits, verse 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the fathers, you're gods. 
You belong to the triune God, for ye are bought with a price, verse 20. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's his conclusion to the whole matter. Dealing with this issue of going to court with one another, dealing with this issue of fornication amongst these believers and the sins that they were involved in, ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, he tells them this wonderful statement of truth in verse 11. And as I said, I want you to consider it as a necessary reminder of what you were, what you are, and whose you are. So why is it necessary? Why is it necessary that we be reminded of this? Well, it's easy to forget, first of all. It's easy to forget. And it is so easy to be bothered, to be led astray, to be hindered by your past. My own experience, plagued with memories from my own past life, things I can never forget, things I can never, never forget. And it's easy to be led astray by the world. It's easy for the world to come with its familiarity where you used to be and tempt you to fall back into that way, to fall back into that system, which is what was happening. It's possible at one time when they were first coming, when they first came to know the Lord, they immediately removed themselves from that pagan system and that corrupt court system. But as time goes on, they find themselves taking each other to court like they used to. So it's easy to be hindered and bothered, tormented by your past. It's easy to be led astray by the world. But regardless, regardless, and this is where the reminder is necessary you always have to remember, I always have to remember, regardless of what you were, you must never forget what you are and whose you are. This text, verse 11, essentially is the gospel. It is the gospel. This is what you were. This is what you are in Christ and you're in Christ because God the Father sent the Spirit to apply redemption to you. This is the gospel. This is what you were, what you are, whose you are. And the Apostle Paul gives us this glorious text to deal with the problems that are coming up in the local church. And there's something for us to remember that when we have issues between one another, we have problems, we have issues with ourselves, with anyone, it's never removed from the gospel. It always relates 
And that's the beauty of God's Word. Is you have these men always relating these issues to the Gospel. You think about that every time you read an epistle. They're writing to deal with issues. But you have in their letters the most glorious, edifying truths of the gospel. And it's because they knew that these issues were gospel issues, no matter how much they didn't seem to be. And it's in the midst of one of these issues that Paul gives us this glorious statement that we can cling to and come back to. Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let us pray. Our Father, we did, today we come to Thee at the close of this service to thank Thee for what Thou hast told us in Thy Word. Lord, we're so thankful for how encouraging that text is to us and yet also how rebuking it is to us. We're thankful Thou hast not kept silent about these things but that Thou hast told us what we were, what we are, and whose we are. Lord, we thank Thee for the gospel of Jesus Christ today, without which we'd be lost and bound for hell. Lord, we thank You for saving our souls, for giving us new life. Not only for giving us new life, but for keeping us every day. Not allowing us to be drugged down by the devil. And that whenever we fall, thou art ready to pick us back up. Lord, please keep us thinking upon the gospel today. Please keep us meditating upon what we are in Jesus Christ. That Thou just own our body and our spirit. That we're Thy people. Lord, You own us. Please do with us what You will. Please use us for Thy glory. Please expand Thy kingdom through us. Lord, glorify Thyself through us in our bodies and in our spirits. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves unto Thee in all things. Be with us as we leave this place. Until we meet again, we pray that we will know Thy blessing upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.